Hello, I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. Coming up after the news, it's Philosophy Talk. Today's topic, Immanuel Kant. Oh, Kant is one of my favorite philosophers. He's one of the greatest and most important thinkers of all times, John. Maybe so, Ken, but he's also one of the weirdest thinkers of all time. He says the world isn't real, the real world we can't know. The noumenal world is the real one. We don't know anything about that. The phenomenal world is the one we know, and it's really a joint product between us and something else. You, you got that about right. Well, so what's the problem? You, you find that a little confusing? I find it a lot confusing, and I wonder where it leaves me. Am I part of the noumenal world, part of the phenomenal world, the creator of one and a denizen of the other, or what? We'll dig into those questions and into Kant's philosophy when Philosophy Talk continues after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of 91.7 KALW, local and innovative public radio for San Francisco. Continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. And from that oasis of thought, it migrates to the air via the signals of this lovely station and our growing number of affiliates. And from the air to the internet via our blog, the blog.philosophytalk.org, where I posted this morning a blog entry on idealism, transcendental idealism in particular. Hey, that's great, Ken. You know, I haven't read it yet, but I'm sure it'll be fascinating. Now, Kant was often called an idealist. He claimed he wasn't an idealist, but he did, whether he was an idealist or not, he did kind of put this question center stage that has remained center stage in philosophy ever since. To what extent is our mind, or in more recent time, our mind and especially language, responsible for the world, that, for that which we think of as the world? Is it largely our construction, or is it something as was thought before Kant that was largely independent of us. Well, Kant certainly thought it was largely our construction. You put it a joint product of the noumenal world about which we can't know anything and our own kind of creative powers of mind. And I think it's a really cool idea. I think it's a really, really important idea. You know, one of the problems, though, that this world that we create for Kant is just kind of matter in motion kind of thing. It's just like this Newtonian spatial temporal order of matter relentlessly changing and coming to be and passing away. There's no freedom. There's no self in it. So it's kind of a, a limited world that we create. I think kind of got kind of a fascinating idea that there's this real world out there, but that all we're really aware of is something that's filtered through our own human capacities and so forth. But there is a problem, it seems to me, is that where are we in it? If we're part of this joint product between us and the real world, then we must have been in this, we must have been causing the real world with it. Yeah, so because, we must not be in the real well, world. Well, yeah, he talks but about... I'm in the, I mean, I'm in the phenomenal world, aren't I? I mean, where am I? You're a pretty phenomenal guy, John. <laughs> yeah. But in some sense, you're kind of in the phenomenal world and you're also in the noumenal world. It's kind of a really complicated view, but you're, you're right, though. We create it. We are the... With the noumena, we create this thing, our, what he calls the spontaneity of the intellect, the spontaneous power of the intellect. But it's really hard because, you know, freedom and all that stuff, it's really hard to fit it into that phenomenon. Yeah, if world. we're both producer and product, how, how are we as moral agents 
gonna supposed to think of ourselves i mean uh, uh, if we're not part of the world of space and time how can we act but well, if we can't you know, act how can we be moral you know to answer that question you have to read kant's three critiques the critique of pure reason the critique of practical reason and the, and the critique of judgment but we'll try and we'll try to deal with it in 45 minutes in the 45 minutes remaining on this show and to help us think about kant's idea polly striker our roving philosophical reporter went out and talked to some people about how kant's ideas affect us in the 21st century she filed this report. Immanuel Kant had many big ideas, so many, in fact, that it's hard to know where to focus. Stanford philosophy professor Alan Wood is a noted Kant scholar. He believes one of Kant's ideas identifies a universal desire for satisfaction, a goal that can never be achieved. The human condition for Kant is a problematic one, and it's not one that we can feel ever entirely comfortable with. The way I put it is that it's our faith as rational beings seek a completeness and final satisfaction in a system of knowledge and belief, but it's also our faith that our own honesty as rational beings must always deprive us of the satisfaction we are bound to seek. What better place to ask about satisfaction in life than at a large party? I think that true satisfaction is possible in my life, or in anybody's life. I think it all has to do with how you view yourself, first of all. Somebody might say that uh, being successful at work would be at the top of where they're going. Other people would say just as long as my work is respected by others, as long as I get critical acclaim, then that's fine as well. But I do think it's, it's reachable and it's attainable. There's a certain amount of stress on our bodies so that we stand upright and fight gravity. And I think there's a certain amount of stress on our psyche so that we can be happy. We have to fight the forces that pull us down. It's both incomplete to say that I am happy and satisfied, but it's also incomplete to say you cannot be happy and satisfied. It's, it's a cycle, it's a continuum. Satisfaction is completely attainable. The problem is that it tends not to last very long. So we have many moments in our lifetime of satisfaction and fulfillment, but then they're gone. And that constant drive, that need to have fulfillment and happiness again, forces us to look for the next moment. I actually think our, our need to strive for fulfillment is a positive thing, but like anything else, it needs to be held in balance, generally with an ability to recognize the beauty of the moment, to live in the now. That helps to offset that constant need to do more, to achieve more, to have new experiences. I'm a happy person as it is, but I think I've trained myself to become that way because I didn't start out happy. What makes me happy might not make Immanuel Kant happy, but, you know, then that's his prerogative to define happiness for himself. Well, I, I disagree completely with the fact that, that he says that there's that, that if you tell yourself you're happy, then that's just an illusion. I mean, you could say the same thing the other way. Well, if you're, you say you're unhappy, then that's also just an illusion. You can't reach full, complete, total happiness. You can't reach the limit. You can't reach the maximum. You can only strive for it. Oh, you should keep striving for it. Why, what else would you do? If striving for it is better than not striving for it, but you have to understand that you'll never get there. Never, ever, ever. You can't. Kant was right, completely right, totally right, absolutely right. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Polly Stryker. Want to hear more? You can hear the rest of the program by purchasing it at iTunes Music. Or, for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.